gospel reading for this morning comes from Mark's gospel, beginning in the 11th chapter at the first verse. Mark wrote these things. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, you came to us in simplicity. Set us free from anything right now that would distract us from loving you completely. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. All right. I thought it would be helpful if we took a look at this story because I'm convinced that we think we know it and it seems simple and straightforward, but there's a lot of mysterious stuff going on here that it might help us take a look at. So, in reference to my predecessors, I'm going to try a three-point sermon. And it's important that you know the average age of clergy in the United Methodist Church is still older than me. So you're still looking at the youth group. That makes me feel kind of, <laughs> kind of good. <laughs> so what I'd like to do is work the, our way through the story first by talking about the setup and then the day. setup. From the very beginning in Mark's gospel, there's something going on throughout the entire story, but it starts at the beginning that most scholars call the messianic secret. And by that they mean, as you read the story, anytime that anyone comes close to calling Jesus the Christ or the Messiah, he either shushes them up or casts out the evil spirit that's recognizing him, and that voice becomes silent in that way. So it's a great messianic secret from the beginning. Now, from the very beginning of Mark's Gospel, if we remember how it starts, it's John the Baptist out in the wilderness baptizing people, forgiving their sins. 
remember that a big part of this Passover festival is to go to Jerusalem, into the temple to offer a sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. But from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, up in the Galilee, John and then Jesus are saying, your sins are forgiven. That's in absence of making this traditional trek to Jerusalem. So things start to build up around the Galilee for Jesus. This is part of the background story. Um, he does a bunch of things that start to attract a bunch of people to him. And if we think of the Galilee, um, Sea of Galilee is roughly a harp-shaped sea, or Genesaret, which means harp. Um, so this is a rough drawing of the Sea of Galilee. Forgive me, Michael. <laughs> um, and around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus' home base is Capernaum, which is right around here. Over here is Magdala. About down in here is Tiberias. And way up here, on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, is Caesarea. I'm not going to try and spell it out. And Caesarea is also um, the capital for the Roman governor of the area. And we know his name. His name was Pontius Pilate. So this was the seat of Pilate's power. This is where he spent a good deal of his time. And if you've been to Caesarea, it's an incredible town, or if you've heard about it, mainly because Herod figured out, Herod the genius madman, um, figured out how to get cement to set up underwater all those years ago. So he built a wonderful port, and it was a thriving town and the center of Roman power and government in the region. This was another area governor in Tiberias, which was kind of close to Capernaum, but never really seemed to give Jesus any problems. So, part of the background story is, um, when Jesus started his ministry in the relative quiet and safety of the Galilee region, people started coming from all around. And why did they come from all around? What was he doing? Two major things. Healing and feeding. It wasn't just because they believed Jesus was somebody special. They believed he was somebody special because if they showed up, chances are if something was wrong with them, he'd take care of it, and he'd also fill their bellies. He fed them. So they followed him. It became difficult for him to even get away by himself. Now thrown into all of that is the prophecy from Jesus' scripture. This is from Zechariah 9. Chapter 9, verse 9, and the people knew this voice. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was their prophecy. And these people knew their prophecy. How were they going to recognize the Messiah? He's going to come into town riding on a donkey. All part of the background thing. So the donkey thing, and the disciples during all this, they see healings, they see mass feedings, they see walking on water, miraculous things, man with a withered hand that's healed in the synagogue, just miraculous things. 
And their question is constantly, who is he? Who is he? And anytime anybody just about confesses him as the Messiah, Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Now you and I know how that works, right? The fastest way to spread something is tell the first person that you tell it. Don't tell anybody. I think the same was happening around Jesus. So it had gotten to the point um, that he was even having a hard time being left by himself. And then something incredible happened, really. Um, he made a decision, a conscious decision, that he was going to leave this place and head to Jerusalem. And this changes everything. It changes everything. So the people are coming to him here, and then all of a sudden, everything changes in a heartbeat because Jesus decides that he's going to observe Passover, and in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have him making one trip to Jerusalem. So this isn't something that he did on a regular basis. John has him there over and over in his story. But in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, Jesus makes one trip to Jerusalem, and that's to observe Passover. Now, do you remember what Passover was? It's the observation of what, exactly, in Jewish history? They're released from slavery in Egypt, right? So this whole story, I want you to think about this, because this is part of what I think makes the Romans nervous. This whole story is about how God had saved people from oppression in their past. And they make this trek to Jerusalem in massive numbers to observe that story about how God had saved them from oppression in the middle of a government that is openly oppressing them in really bad ways. So if you're a Roman and you're looking at that, I would think you start to get nervous. Because, man, they're going to be reminded that God has saved them from an oppression in the past. They think we're oppressors. What's this going to be like when they all get together in Jerusalem? Pilate's nervous enough that he makes the trek from Caesarea into Jerusalem. Now, Crossan and Borg tell us, two scholars, that there were really two parades that day. There was the Jesus parade on the one side of town as he went down the hill and into the temple. And then on the other side of the town, there was the Roman parade as Pilate and many more soldiers came in in a display of Roman might to quash whatever people might be thinking they're going to do. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's kind of cool to put it in your mind. Romans did like to parade, and they paraded all their strength and their might. So that's a little bit of the background about this. It's the setup for the day. And then what happens on the day? Well, Jesus gets to Bethany and Bethphage, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And he calls the disciples aside and he says something really strange. He says, go into town, steal a donkey. I once 
heard somebody preach about this, and it's a whole other sermon, it was a marvelous sermon, about what it takes to untie the donkey. You know, it's a, it was a resource at the time. It was like a car. If somebody showed up and said, uh, we're taking your car because the master needs it, how many of us would say, oh, sure, here's the keys? Jesus told them how they were going to be received. They had some pre-knowledge of this. It's almost as if it was planned, which could confuse us to a little bit in a little bit, because I think the way that whole thing plays out and the time that's devoted to it makes us think that, hey, the disciples finally get this. They're doing this confidently. They know who Jesus is. This is all the ball in the right track. It's going great. This is how it's supposed to be. I'm not sure that's quite the case, but... Um, but Jesus knows the prophecy, the disciples know the prophecy, and Jesus says, you know what, we're riding in on a donkey. There is going to be no mistake this time. And what happens? When the people see him coming on that donkey, Jesus, they're convinced that the prophecy is being fulfilled. Nothing can be done to stop the shouting. I think that's one of my favorite lines from Jesus Christ Superstar. Nothing can be done to stop the shouting. Hosanna, save us. Imagine this. All the generations up until then have been waiting to see this. And there he is in my time, riding into town. This is awesome. The Messiah is here. He's riding in the donkey, peaceful. So you can imagine, perhaps, the letdown of what happened. One might think, okay, here he comes, he's the Messiah, he's taking on the mantle of Messiah, he's on that blasted donkey, people recognize it, we're all assembled in one place, and he goes into the temple like a tourist, with the little cream over his nose, looks around, and leaves. No rousing speech, no firing up the troops, Nobody's standing up saying, all right, let's get him. We're all assembled here. Let's take this thing on. He gets all the acclaim. He rides into town. He goes into the temple, looks around, grabs his buddies, and leaves. And it's the next day that he comes back without a parade, and things start to change quickly. Walks into the temple, upsets the money changers' tables, takes on the religious authorities in such a way that they think he doesn't respect their authority, and they go out to plot to kill him. And then goes so far as to say, isn't this a glorious place? It's all going to be torn down. It's all going to be torn down. But that's tomorrow yet. Let's go back today. So we're through two. You get two check marks. Any questions so far? Anything I can help you with? Any questions about anything I said? Okay, good. We're all on the same page. You okay still? The takeaway. What's the takeaway for us as we look at this story? I think there's a few things. First of all, we need to know, and I believe this to be true, he didn't have to go. He could have stayed around the Galilee in relative peace. 
been a rabbi, preached in all the little synagogues around, healed people that came his way, taught young ones, lived a good and wholesome life, and been fine around the Sea of Galilee. He didn't have to do this. But he chose to do it. And I think in that choice is a lesson for us. And I think the lesson is this. You're to live your life fully in this world. It's hard. Because we like to go on retreats. We like to keep ourselves secluded. We often separate our faith life from what goes on in our life in the world. But when you look at this story of Jesus, I don't think you can stand on your own two feet if that's how you want to approach life. He fully participated in his life in the world by riding into town that day. It wasn't a retreat to some monastery somewhere to feel good about myself. It was saying, no, I need to participate in this. That's one takeaway. The other takeaway is that we watch this man um, give himself selflessly something bigger than himself. C.S. Lewis, I have the quote somewhere, let me see if I can find it. This is how off script I, off script I am right now. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. I think by doing this, Jesus reveals quite a bit about God's love for us and his love for other people. He allowed himself to be so vulnerable that we looked at this relatively young man be vulnerable and ride into a pretty bad situation. And he's vulnerable because he loved his friends, he loved his family, he loved his religion. Know that this celebration is a nationalistic celebration too. He loved his country. He loved his God. And I would put forward to you that he also loved his life enough to live it to the nth degree. And I think that's what we're called to do all the same too. To live your life fully in this world with everything that, that you've got. To dare to love, to be vulnerable to other people because if you love, I can guarantee you're going to be hurt. Um, but love just the same. And to love your life enough to live it completely, as completely as you possibly can. And to be true to what you know to be the truth, even to your death. Even to your death. This is a tough week. This is a tough week. But walk through it. And keep the faith. I think that's all I have to say. Thanks. Thanks for listening.